Welcome to the Bob Harden Show, bringing you news and commentary to keep you informed and enjoying life on the Paradise Coast. And now, here's your host, Bob Harden. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning. Johnson's Air Conditioning is Naples' longest established air conditioning company. I hope you'll visit the website, johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. We have terrific guests for today's show, including Bob Levy, chairman of the Cato Institute. We're talking about big tech and terms of use agreements, which we all sign. Probably none of us read, but we probably should understand, and we'll find out more about that. Andrew Jopp is a professor. He's also author of Josephus of Oz. We'll visit with Andy, as well as Larry Bell, endowed professor at the University of Houston, space architecture, and author of several books. Uh, his latest is uh, What Makes Humans Truly Exceptional. I'm reading it right now. It's a terrific read. It is March the 17th, and on this day in 461 A.D., St. Patrick, Christian missionary, bishop and apostle of Ireland, died at Saul, down Patrick, Ireland. Much of what is known about Patrick's legendary life comes from Confessio, a book he wrote during his last years. He was born in Great Britain, probably in Scotland, to a well-to-do Christian family of Roman citizenship. He was captured and enslaved at age 16 by Irish marauders for the next six years. He worked as a herder in Ireland, turning to deepening a religious faith for comfort. Following the counsel of a voice he heard in a dream, one night he escaped and found passage on a ship to Britain where he was eventually reunited with his family. According to Confessio, in Britain, Patrick had another dream in which an individual named Victoricus gave him a letter entitled The Voice of the Irish. As he read it, Patrick seemed to hear the voice of Irishmen pleading him to return to their country and walk among them once more. After studying for the priesthood, Patrick was ordained as a bishop. He arrived in Ireland in 433 and began preaching the gospel, converting many thousands of Irish and building churches around the country. After 40 years of living in poverty, teaching and traveling and working tirelessly, he died on March the 17th, 461 in Saul, where he was at, at his first church built. Since that time, countless legends have grown up around Patrick. Made the patron saint of Ireland, he also said, said to have baptized hundreds of people on a single day and to have used a three-leaf clover, the famous shamrock, to describe the Holy Trinity. And already often portrayed trampling on snakes in accordance with the belief that he drove these reptiles out of Ireland. For centuries, the Irish have observed the day of St. Patrick's death as a religious holiday, attending church in the morning and celebrating with food and drink in the afternoon. The first St. Patrick's Day parade, though, took place not in Ireland, but in the United States. Records show that St. Patrick's Day parade was held on March the 17th, 1601, in Spanish colony under the direction of the colony's Irish vicar, Ricardo Artur. More than a century later, homesick Irish soldiers serving in England in the military marched in Boston in 1737 and in New York City on March 6th, 1762. As the years went on, the parades became a show of unity and strength for persecuted Irish-American immigrants and then a popular celebration of Irish-American heritage. 
the party went global in 1995 when the Irish government began a large-scale campaign to market St. Patrick's Day as a way of driving tourism and showcasing Ireland's many charms in the rest of the world. These days, March 17th is a national celebration as millions of people around the world put on their best green clothing to drink green beer, watch parades, and toast the luck of the Irish. Well, today, not so much. I mean, the uh, parade has been canceled here in in Naples, and uh, although I'm sure there's going to be a lot of green beer served and lots of opportunities to celebrate in downtown Naples. I want to mention also on this day in 1969, 70-year-old Golda Meir made history when she was elected as Israel's first prime minister. She was the country's fourth prime minister and is still the only woman to have held the post. I didn't realize this, but she was uh, educated and uh, lived Wisconsin for a long period of time. Well, during uh, tonight's groundbreaking Fox News interview, that was last night, Marie Bartiromo checked in with former President Trump on a variety of pressing issues. I didn't have a chance to watch the interview, but I found what he had to say was very significant. Most significant to that uh, being the growing migration crisis on the southern border. Compared to Trump's own stringent policies, the moves made by the Biden administration point towards letting Seemingly everyone in a situation where both Joe uh, Jen Psaki, I think she pronounced it without the P, it's Jen Psaki, I believe, but anyhow, Psaki repeatedly denied it's being a crisis, but all, uh, also where FEMA was called in to assist in the situation. The wall is almost complete, Trump said. Biden ordered to pause construction on Trump's border wall expires on March the 20th. Nobody knows what's going to happen next at a business inside. It could, have been, it could have been finished in a month and would be just magnificent. It's already magnificent. What is done is in the areas where it is totally completed. But just the small sections are remaining, and they should finish it, but they're destroying our country. People are coming in by the hundreds of thousands, said Trump. The former president went on to highlight the spike in the migrant coming in from Mexico on the belief that Biden was inviting them to come in. Child border crossing, surging, straining U.S. facilities, said Associated Press. Young children are coming in and they leave their homes and they come up because they think it's going to be uh, so wonderful. And frankly, our country can't handle it. It's a crisis like we've rarely had, and certainly we've never had one on the border, but it's, uh, but it's going to get much worse. I mean, what you're seeing now is very bad, record numbers, but it's going to get much, much worse. A little bit of time, you'll see those numbers expand at a level you've never seen before, said the former president. Already, the Biden administration has commissioned the Cape Bailey Hutchinson Convention Center in Dallas to be a mass migration camp for incoming miners. Trump also took the opportunity to slam Mitch McConnell. Trump finished off the segment by highlighting how swiftly his administration cracked down on human and drug trafficking in the area. He was proud of his cooperation with the authorities in Central America in order to make progress on the migration issue. The scoop by Axios reveals that four people on the terror watch list were recently arrested at the southern border. Trump did a great job with regard to migration. And <clears throat> there are other things to accomplish, of course, but uh, he was uh, careful about who he allowed into the United States. and He wanted merit-based immigration, not just people coming in willy-nilly uh, irrespective of their backgrounds. 
And of course, we've got MS-13, and we've got gangs coming in. We've got all kinds of concerns, coyotes. Uh, the gangs that are running uh, Mexico are, are taking advantage of the circumstance. And yet, our current president doesn't even have plans yet to visit the border, unfortunately. Well, here's some good and interesting news. Dan Bongino has agreed to terms with Westwood One to begin a new three-hour live radio show from 12 to 3 p.m. Uh, the deal is not signed, but is expected to get done barring last-minute differences. Now, of course, this is the time that Rush Limbaugh was on air. The move had resulted in affiliates across the country airing Bongino's show in a time slot that was held and essentially owned by Rush Limbaugh for decades. Limbaugh's syndicator, Premier, has not yet decided what show it will offer its affiliates going forward from 12 to 3. Cumulus Media owns Westwood One, but has carried Limbaugh's programs on various affiliates. So it should be interesting to see how this turns out, but I think right now getting Bongino in that slot is going to have a, a big impact. Before everyone asks, nothing is changing with Bongino's podcast, which is the second most listened to conservative show in the country. His podcast will remain separate from the live radio show. Bongino will continue to contribute to Fox News programs, including Hannity. So that's so interesting as well. He's going to continue uh, his podcast. Bongino can uh, bring a younger audience to, to terrestrial radio. In addition to his podcast, Bongino's Facebook routinely ranks among the most visited in the country. He's also part owner in Rumble and Parlor, alternatives to YouTube and Twitter, respectively. And while no one can replace Rush Limbaugh, no one, radio executives say Bongino is the logical successor from 12 to 3. Should this move get done as expected, many radio affiliates will have the option to add Dan Bongino to their lineup. So Dan Bongino, of course, ran for Congress here. He uh, moved here from the East Coast of Florida just for a little while, kind of a carpetbagger, came in, ran against Francis Bruni and lost. Francis Bruni, of course, put a lot of money, but Dan Bongino was an outstanding candidate. Frankly, probably to all of our benefits that he lost, Byron Donalds now holds that position. He's doing a terrific job as our congressman. And Bongino, of course, doing a terrific job, now filling the 12-3 slot or Westwood One uh, in radio. Interesting development. By the way, President Biden will hold his first formal news briefing on Thursday afternoon, March the 25th, that according to his press secretary, Jen Psaki. 55 days into his new presidency, many have begun to wonder why Biden has not yet held a solo news conference. Well, he's going to hold one. The question is, will he answer questions if he does? Will they be other than softball questions from people he's designated to ask questions? This segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. Visit johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. Coming up, we're going to visit with Bob Levy, chairman of the Cato Institute. That and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show 
here on the Bob Hartman Broadcasting Network. I'm Bob Harden, the host of The Bob Harden Show. One of my favorites for breakfast or lunch is Lulabee's Diner, providing great service, fabulous food, and a rockin' good time. Lulabee's Diner is a throwback to the 60s, complete with great music and a fabulous 60s decor. What I like best is a blend of great food, great value, and terrific service. Most of the friendly waitstaff has been part of Lulabee's for years. I enjoy the great choices for breakfast and lunch, and you'll find the menu has everything and anything to satisfy your taste. Lulabee's offers catering, party platters, lunch boxes, and more. Lulabee's Diner will quickly become one of your favorites for breakfast or lunch. No reservations are needed. Check out the website at lulabees.com and stop by Lulabee's Diner, open from 8 a.m. until 2 p.m. seven days a week. Lulabee's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center at the corner of Immokalee and Airport Pulling Roads. Stop by Lulabee's Diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rockin' good time. Did you know St. Matthew's House operates the only emergency homeless shelters in Collier County? St. Matthew's House provided more than 500,000 hot meals to those in need last year, and since 2010, 527 men and women have graduated from the St. Matthew's House Justin's Place Addiction Recovery Program. For over 30 years, St. Matthew's House has provided innovative solutions to fight homelessness, hunger, substance abuse, and poverty in Southwest Florida. And you can help St. Matthew's House in this life-transforming work by patronizing the St. Matthew's House Thrift Stores, Cafe M25, Car Wash and Detailing Center, and award-winning catering operations. For more information, visit stmatthewshouse.org. That's stmatthewshouse.org. St. Matthew's House is a 501c3 not-for-profit organization and does not solicit government funding. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Golf Shore Playhouse, bringing you professional New York-style theater at its very best. Please visit the website, golfshoreplayhouse.org. Coming up, we're going to visit with Andy Joppa. Right now we have with us Bob Levy, constitutional scholar. He's also an author, and he's chairman of the Cato Institute. Bob, thank you so much for joining us. Great to be with you, Bob. Thank you. Tell us about the Cato Institute. We are a libertarian think tank headquartered in Washington, D.C., and focused on free markets, private property, securing individual rights, and limited government, C-A-T-O dot O-R-G, on the web. Terrific organization, uh, Cato dot org. Bob, last week we started a conversation about big tech and how they have terms of agreement. You know, we probably, none of us have read, I certainly, I certainly have never read the terms of agreement, and uh, yet what we found out uh, after the fact is that we pretty much sold our souls in the sense that they have all the information about us and can use it in almost any way they want. So let's pick up with this question. Do courts determine whether terms of service are unconscionable? Uh, yeah, these, these terms are not illegal, but, but when the terms are too oppressive, the courts will sometimes bar enforcement um, if they determine that uh, the terms are the term is unconscionable. And in determining whether a contract is unconscionable, a judge usually considers uh, 
the bargaining power of the two parties, like you against Facebook, mm-hmm. uh, whether you actually have a choice in the matter and whether the seller, in this case one of the big tech companies, has deliberately misrepresented one or more of the terms. So the, the criterion of fairness is not whether you've haggled over every transaction and and debated the terms, but whether the seller, uh, big tech company, has incorporated reasonable terms in their standard form uh, contract. And would you have assented if you realized that a particular term was or was not a part of the agreement. And that that realization, your awareness, uh, can hinge on you know such things as how big is the type, um, the size of the print, how, how long is the uh, terms of service agreement, and whether it's late, laden with a lot of legal, legal mumbo-jumbo. Yeah, so interesting. So how do the courts change their view over time as technology has evolved? Well... These one-sided conditions are now <clears throat> much more prevalent, of course, uh, and they're they're widely publicized. So that works to the consumer's disadvantage because the courts presume now that users are better informed, and therefore users are less able to say, "Wow, I didn't get it. Uh, you know, I didn't know this was going to be the case, and I'm surprised by it all." Um, now, consumers wrongly believe that these terms are not going to be enforced. Uh, by the courts, they frequently will be enforced. Mm-hmm. And as a result, uh, the typical uh, user just glosses over or disregards uh, these caveats that should demand uh, a bit more attention. So are there any benefits in having a take-it-or-leave-it term of service? Yeah, there's very good reason for having these standard forms. Uh, there's a powerful economic justification because what it does is it materially reduces the transactions cost. That is, it promotes economic efficiency by avoiding the need for the typical buyer, um, you or, or, or I, and the seller, one of the big tech companies, to negotiate uh, the many details every time there's a transaction. So the task, therefore, is to adopt public policies that's going to reconcile these two competing interests. We want to make econo- economic transactions as efficiently as possible because that maximizes the aggregate welfare of the buyer on one side and the seller on the other. And that argues for these standard form contracts. On the other hand, we want to balance the distribution between the two groups, the buyers and the sellers, which argues, I think, for tilting the terms uh, not so one-sidedly in favor of the big tech uh, companies. Yeah. So what role does the market play in dictating terms of service? Well, customarily, we let the market, um, which after all are consensual bargains between big tech and its users, and we, we usually let the market decide these uh, these questions because, you know, Facebook's audience doesn't have a right to use uh, the website, Facebook website, except on the on Facebook's terms. Uh, so the choice to go along with the terms of service is up to the user. The counter-argument, however, is that the user really can't truly consent um, when the terms of the bargain are too costly for the user to unravel. 
it is true that the user retains the option to go elsewhere and to seek alternative channels of communication, but these big tech companies are pretty big. Uh, if Facebook were to lose enough customers because customers leave, then they'd likely respond by modifying their terms. That hasn't happened. Mm -hmm. uh, the company persists in offering these take-it-or-leave-it deals, so I think we should probably conclude that the users either are okay with the bargain or they're just not aware uh, of the bargain. Now, the real question boils down to how much market power companies like Facebook exercise. Um, it is the case that unlike the government, Facebook cannot force you to use their service. So in that sense, it is a voluntary transaction on your part. Yeah. So if, is government intervention justified then? Yeah, I think even hardcore free market folks like myself concede that these tactics like real tiny print and thousands and thousands of words and this impenetrable uh, legalese um, more than offsets the advantages of standard forms. So the result is that the transaction costs really become prohibitive because the customer really can't take the time to decipher what the agreement is all about. And this is short of fraud, but it is a market imperfection. And it, it means that the consumer doesn't really consent. He's simply not aware. And so the government may have, I think, a legitimate role to play. Um, the worst alternative would be to let government dictate the terms. Mm -hmm. That is to say, you know, for example, no waivers uh, of, uh, of the right to sue, no access to your personal data, no violation of your privacy. After all, if you consent to that and you're aware that you're consenting, in return, you're getting no ads or free service. That may be worth your while. That should be up to you, the consumer. Yeah, I mean, in, in my own case, I, I'm aware that, of course, that they have certain rights for information, and they use that information to try and market me stuff, but I didn't realize how deeply they got involved in, in the use of my information. And, and in other words, I signed a user agreement, I understood it, but um, I didn't understand the depth and the detail that was involved. So what are your recommendations around all this? Well, that would argue for full disclosure of the extent to which the data is being used. Um, I think sensible regulations, which are consistent with our time-honored belief in private markets and freedom of contract, would be to, for the government to focus on reducing transactions costs, uh, ensuring that users can knowledgeably accept or reject uh, the bargain, so that that might be so so uh, prosaic as as uh, specifying a minimum size type font or a maximum number of words or some even some objective grade level rating and full disclosure of what the data is being used for. Mm -hmm. uh, they might even require the government might require advanced publication of any changes in the terms and an opportunity for users to say whether they like the terms before the terms are actually implemented. And you, you might even end up with, with templates that are formed by the government, and the, and the website could alter those subject to appropriate notice to the consumer and subject to appropriate uh, clarity. So we want the government focused on not dictating the terms, but making sure everybody understands what's involved in the bargain. So that makes sense, but how do you reconcile your proposal 
with libertarian views, which are basically hands-off when it comes to government. It is true, and you know what I'm suggesting may offend the market purists, but, you know, simple, specific regulations that are directed at facilitating the bargaining process are a lot less intrusive than government intervention that mandates some inflexible one-size-fits-all uh, term of service that the companies have to follow. So ideally, big tech might react in a, in a, I think, an efficient market by offering variable terms with trade-offs so you could get fewer ads in return for access to your browser history uh, as, a, as a market segmentation strategy. I think the ingenuity of the private sector in responding to this is boundless when the transactions costs are low. And so what the government should do is just lubricate the wheels of commerce and leave the rest up to private transactors as long as there's full disclosure. Bob Levy, again, the chairman of the Cato Institute, Cato.org is the website, C-A-T-O.org. Bob, always appreciate your commentary here in the show. Thanks so much for joining us. Great to be with you, Bob. Thank you so much. All right, coming up, we're going to visit with Andrew Joppa, professor and author of Joseph Devaz. We're going to do that and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Provence Restaurant is a favorite dining destination for many Neapolitans, including Linda and myself. Blue Provence, located in a historic building in the heart of Old Naples at Creighton Cove, offers a mix of French bistro cooking with bold, fresh Floridian flavors. Experience award-winning cuisine at Blue Provence and enjoy one of Florida's most extensive, eclectic, and fun wine cellars. Dining your choice of the popular Eden Bar, the intimate Courtyard Garden, or the beautiful Provencal Caribbean Dining Room. Enjoy a wonderful and memorable evening in a casual and relaxed atmosphere that includes a taste of Provencal hospitality. Blue Provence is open seven days a week, all year round. Visit BlueProvenceNaples.com for reservations, everyday specials, and coming events. That's BlueProvenceNaples.com or call 261-8239. That's 261-8239. Blue Provence French Restaurant in the heart of Old Naples. Golfshore Playhouse is passionately committed to enriching our cultural landscape by producing professional theater to the highest artistic standards and providing unique educational opportunities to folks in a spirit of service, adventure, and excitement. Over the past 15 years, the Playhouse has expanded immensely, outgrowing its current facilities. With dreams of expanding even further in order to better serve the community, broaden the economic impact, and strengthen the cultural fabric of our region, it's time to build and move into a new home. A 44,000-square-foot state-of-the-art theater and education center will be built on three acres at the corner of First Avenue South and Goodlett Frank Road, allowing Gulf Shore Playhouse to achieve those dreams. To find out more about Gulf Shore Playhouse, this state-of-the-art performing arts center, and about the season's exciting productions, visit golfshoreplayhouse.org. That's golfshoreplayhouse.org. We'll see you at the show. Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. 
Thanks so much for joining us here on the show, providing you news and commentary rooted in the commitment to uh, individual liberty, personal responsibility, limited government, and the rule of law. Coming up, we're going to visit with Larry Bell and Dodd, professor at the University of Houston. Right now we have with us Andy Joppa, professor and author of Josephus of Oz. Andy, thank you so much for joining us. Good morning, Bob. You know, Andy, uh, one of the things we don't hear a lot about right now, but it's in the news, is what's happening with uh, Governor Cuomo. Uh, he has some indiscretions, apparently, with, uh, f- with females. But more importantly, in my opinion, is what's happened with regard to the deaths in nursing homes and the cover-up. What are your thoughts? Well, that's, that's pretty much the thought I was going to offer, Bob. The, the major element is not just the miscount of the people in the nursing homes in terms of death, but the fact that his willful decisions created those deaths. I'm, I'm not going to go as far as to suggest it was murder, but if we define murder as the, the act that willfully kills other people that are, uh, that are innocent in this case, obviously, um, it's, it's really an act of murder by some legal standard. And yet it seems the major focus is on uh, some variation of, of cancel culture. So mm-hmm. uh, that, that seems rather absurd. Uh, as a matter of fact, there are moments during this whole process where, amazingly, I felt sympathy for, for Andrew Cuomo uh, because of the way he was being uh, attacked for simple actions like a uh, an, an inappropriate hug, I think, was one of the definitions. So by ignoring all these things, it seems like it's a way of trying to create a, a smokescreen around not just the miscount of the deaths in the nursing homes in New York, but actually the more serious crime of having willfully, uh, by his actions, created those deaths, Bob. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. That's, that's my take on it, is this whole thing. And even uh, Democrats jumping on the bandwagon, uh, and uh, making accusations and joining the uh, the accusations against Cuomo about uh, <laughs> this inappropriate behavior is a cover-up for the real crime, which should be actually reviewed and prosecuted, in my opinion, which is the cover-up about the, uh, about the deaths uh, in the nursing homes. Well, I think there's a greater story here also is the complicitness of the left and the media during the entirety of the process, certainly the, the actions that Cuomo were taking were being uh, pointed out and defined uh, for, for months prior to these recent uh, re- uh, revelations. And so the, the media covered for Cuomo, the, uh, the, the left covered for Cuomo. They were, in fact, complicit in this entire process. Yep. Uh, and as the left is prone to do in any country where they see some uh, some degree of control. The left has no problem throwing their own into the fire. Uh, and this is another example. It may happen to Newsom in California, but, uh, you know, there should be no sympathy for these men. These are the, uh, the way the left sacrifices their people when, uh, when their purpose is served uh, by, by that sacrifice. Yeah, do you, does Cuomo survive the process? Uh, you asking me if, if he can? Yes. Uh, I don't think he can survive as governor. Uh, whether it will survive legally, I think perhaps is the, the larger question, legally being will there be some criminal indictment of some sort. Ah. Uh, but I do not think he can survive as, as governor in New York State at this point. Interesting. So uh, let's move to uh, Fauci <laughs> right now. They, uh, the who, I guess it is, has said that we actually need three feet of distancing in, in uh, public schools. Nevertheless, I mean, Fauci continues on with two masks and making these mandates. He, he seems to have no science behind the decisions and the recommendations he's making for us. What are your thoughts? 
Well, it's one of these amazing things in America when somebody is consistently wrong over a period of time, uh, wrong even against their own prior positions, uh, and this person is still turned to for uh, for uh, positions that should be taken in the future. Uh, if we look at some of the the background information, let me just uh, suggest this one quote that that deals with the Fauci's involvement with the not only the creation of the the Wuhan flu itself, but also the uh, the the whole funding process that existed. Let me just uh, go into this. Fauci was the one who was involved with the the gain of function process in 2016, mm-hmm. uh, in conjunction with the Wuhan labs. Mm-hmm. Uh, for your listeners, again, that would be the uh, the funding of uh, gain of function. Gain of function is increasing the uh, patho- pathogenic implication of a of a virus, and in this case, it was the direct. Uh, uh, research being done to create human-to-human transfer of this flu, which is exactly what we've experienced. And it can be documented, well-documented, Bob, that it was uh, Fauci's funding of this through the uh, the CDC that really ultimately created the existence of this flu. Uh, It's also suggested and, and documented to my satisfaction that he has significant financial interest in the uh, the, in the vaccines and, in fact, in the uh, in the pathogen itself. So um, I don't know why this is not gaining more traction. It's a well-documented story. I, I have far more on this than, than I'm even alluding to right now. Uh, it seems to me that Fauci is a significant culprit, uh, if not a criminal culprit, in this entire Wuhan flu episode. No, there's no question. In fact, uh, right now, the number of cases in uh Higher County has reduced to the point where they're not even being reported right now by the Naples Daily News. Quite, I think this whole thing is, is done. Quite, herd immunity has set in. We should unmask and go about our business as usual. And, and, I, and this masking thing is significant because it's an important part of our communication. I mean, we, we, are, we are social animals. We are meant to communicate, and our facial expressions are an important part of that. We need to unmask. Well, these are well-documented phenomenon, and it's included in the uh, the uh, the uh, the oath for a physician that they will, in fact, do no harm, and that includes extension into the uh, the economic area of a person's life or their psychological well-being. Uh, so, this uh, unique focus only on the medical uh, implication of of the Wuhan flu is is just not within even the the appropriate realm of a physician. And many people have said doctors have to focus on only the medical aspect of it. That is not true. If you look at their oath as a as a physician, they have to be comprehensive. And certainly Fauci Fauci was was not that. Uh, I think just very recently, yesterday, perhaps he he indicated that the quarantining had almost no positive implications. So, so here we have, at the end of the day, after a long, year-long run of, of, of shutting people down, and as you're indicating, uh, cutting down their whole social process with its psychological implication, particularly significant for children, obviously, uh, we, we have a man that is, in fact, almost reversing entirely his positions taken during the year-long process of shutdowns. Bob. No question. Andy, i got so many other things I'd like to talk to you about. Can you stick around? I am here. All right, we're going to have more here on the Bob Harden Show on the uh, Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. 
Do you suffer from joint pain in your shoulders, hips, or knees? I was suffering from debilitating pain in my knees. On a referral, I saw Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine. He successfully treated my symptoms and pain for several months. Finally, having exhausted all alternatives for pain management, Dr. Markovich and I agreed that surgery was my best alternative. Dr. Markovich replaced both of my knees in 2006 and I now have full range of motion in both knees and I have no pain. I now play golf and exercise free of debilitating pain in my knees. Don't suffer needlessly with joint pain. Call orthopedic surgeon Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine at 482-5399. That's 482-5399. He did a great job for me and he'll help you too. You listen to The Bob Harden Show, so why not market your company to our loyal listeners? Ads are played live on each show and then archived so listeners can hear the show and your ad at their convenience. Each advertising package includes a banner on BobHarden.com with a link to your website at no extra charge. Join Lulabee's Diner, Johnson's Air Conditioning, Blue Provence, and many others who advertise on the show. Call me at 598-3889, that's 598-3889, or send an email to BobHarden at Hotmail.com to design an ad program that's just right for your business and your budget. You'll be pleasantly surprised at the cost and the value. Several advertisers have been with me for years. Find out why by calling 598-3889 or send me an email to bobharden at hotmail.com. You'll be glad you did. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host... Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability, creating policies and programs to get able-bodied folks off of welfare and back to work. It's a moral imperative, and you can find out more by visiting thefga.org. Coming up, we're going to be visiting with Professor Larry Bell. Right now, we can visit with, continue the conversation with Professor Andy Joppa, author of Josephus of Oz. Again, Andy, thank you so much for joining us. Yes, Bob, and again, happy St. Patrick's Day. What a, what a country. Here you have a fellow like myself, a raised Roman Catholic, a Jewish heritage, and I'm, I'm supporting a Saints Day from Ireland. Is, is that a great country or what? That's a great country indeed, with green beer, Andy. So, hey, <laughs> <laughs> so, so uh, Andy, it, now that some, there's some developments in the Middle East, especially with regard to the head of Saudi Arabia. Maybe you could tell us about it. It's it's an interesting uh, question without a, uh, in my case, a real understanding of even why it's happening. We can pretty much break the uh, the issues of the Middle East down right now to the uh, to the Sunni uh, support coming out of Saudi Arabia and, and the Western support offered by the reformist, the Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman, who is uh, essentially being thrown under the bus by our State Department. They just released a, a three-page analysis of the death of uh, uh, the um, string reporter for the uh, Washington Post, Kosogi, yeah. um, and they indicate with the most modified language that uh, Bin Salman was, in fact, responsible for the killing of, of Kosogi. Now, this plays right into the hands of weakening Bin Salman, who is a significant reformer, both politically and socially, and religiously even in in Saudi Arabia, very pro-West, has spearheaded many of the the peace arrangements uh, being done during the uh, Trump administration uh, vis-a-vis Israel. So this this is a man that certainly is is serving the 
uh, the larger good. And yet our government is now trying, in my estimation, Bob, to dislodge him from his leadership role in Saudi Arabia hmm. as we simultaneously throw uh, our backing almost entirely uh, behind the the Iranian regime and their essentially their nuclear development program. This is a nation that for 57 years has been uh, calling America the great Satan and, and threatening our death through whatever means available. Uh, so we have, a, to me, a situation that uh, I can't explain. It doesn't make sense uh, if we're concerned with the, the impact on America and, in fact, the uh, the issue of world peace. So, uh, again, our government right now is a dangerous government, Bob. We have a government that is uh, that seems to be uh, eccentric. It seems to be out of control in terms of the, the logic behind the position. Certainly, there are very few things that the Biden administration has done to this point, if any, that can be defined as pro-American. Uh, and certainly, the issue with Iran and, and Saudi Arabia is, is one of them. Uh, and again, it's a serious issue. If this prompts uh, an earlier development of nuclear weapons by Iran, it's going to change the whole political structure of the Middle East and put uh, Israel under significant, uh, significant and real threat from the from the Twelvers in in Iran. Well, that's the first thought I had when you'd mentioned uh, this Kosogi uh, episode and what's happening right now with. Uh, the the leader of Saudi Arabia is the position with uh, Israel, and quite frankly, I don't think there's been a lot of attention paid to Israel by the Biden administration up to this point. Somewhat um, kind of sloughing it off, as did, uh, for example, the Obama administration. There's no doubt, and, and certainly Trump had done remarkable things in terms of reaching peace accords in the Middle East that were uh, that were in no way predictable. It was just an amazing process, and for that he alone he should win the the Nobel Peace Prize. So uh, this is a, a serious situation that um, I the this extended implications are are dire in in uh, by by the probably the most extreme interpretation but certainly they are dire in that sense yeah no question yeah let's move to what's happening here locally and the comments to, in, in georgia uh about uh, and women in the military any, any thoughts at all well in terms of uh, washington post's original story back in the early part of january indicating that that Trump had had a uh, what they defined as a a, a, a criminal conversation with the uh, Georgia Secretary of State at that point, uh, urging uh, him to uh, to in fact I, I'm going to paraphrase this to to fix the election. I guess that would be the accurate paraphrase. Uh, there's been you know, there was no documentation of Trump's comments in any way at that point indicating that. And recently, the actual transcript of that conversation has come out. And the conversation had nothing, essentially nothing to do with the theoretically well-documented comments used by the Post back in early January. Uh, I don't believe this was an accident. I don't believe this was just a, a bad source where they, they used it inappropriately. I think this was a willful intent to try to influence the impeachment process of President Trump at that point in time. I uh, couldn't agree more, and it's unfortunate the press seems to take that point of view. Again, we can we need the fourth estate to be doing its job and reporting uh, objectively as opposed to taking a point of view, taking a narrative and then supporting the narrative with untruths, quite frankly. 
And, and if you look back at that period of time, you can see that across the wide expanse of the leftist media, they were using that story and they were using exactly the same words for that story, Bob, uh, which again indicates, and we've seen this a countless number of times, where there seems to be some central distribution of, of not only the idea that, uh, that has to be propagated, but the exact wording of that idea that has to be propagated. And we've seen that many times, uh, and this, this WAPO story back in January, was just perhaps the most recent example of it. I think that's a, a great example indeed. So finally, let's let's talk about uh, women in the military and outfitting uh, pregnant women to be able to be ready to go into combat. Look, you know, it's it's the, the combat role that's the issue. The issue of of, uh, of uh, soldiers in combat, and by the way, we have not fought a, a a war against a significant enemy in a long time. You know, taking on the Taliban or even ISIS, the, these are these are skirmishes. But I don't know if our military is is ready for field combat type of operations uh, uh, of a scale that would be represented. Let's say if we got into uh, field combat with with uh, with China, for example, right. uh, women have many roles they can fill in the military. But when you're talking about field combat, that is not one of them. The average combat troop uh, weighs a male troop weighs 170 pounds. They have to carry a field pack of anywhere from 100 to 115 pounds. The average female troop weighs 115 pounds herself. She would have to carry. She would have to carry her own body weight for 15 miles in normal in normal combat operations. Uh, what has happened in Israel with that kind of, of, of load disbursement is the male troops now have to carry far more than their normal load to make up for the uh, for the failure of the the female combat troops to be yeah. able to carry their load. If we go back about four or five years, the Marines had run a uh, a, a documented test of the readiness of a combat unit when it was all male as compared to mix of male and female. Overwhelmingly, that test documented that the all-male combat troop, because of almost exclusively because of upper body strength in, in general, uh, was, the, was the most significant factor, but a very critical factor in terms of being able to maintain safety in a field combat situation. That was rejected. So right now we're, we're reacting as if wars are going to be these gentle affairs that uh, essentially have no hand-to-hand -hand combat. But again, if we get into real war, and we haven't had one in a while, uh, then women in that field combat role, it's going to be a significant danger for themselves and, and for the male troops that are around them. Both. Right, and I think we're talking about overall preparedness uh, in terms of our troops and being able to go into combat as well. So... Uh, great points, Andy. Always appreciate your commentary here on the show. Uh, Andy Joppa, again, the author of Josephus of Oz. A great read. Off topic for today's discussion, but really a great read indeed. Josephus of Oz. Andy, thank you so much for joining us. We'll talk soon, and we'll do lunch as soon as you're ready, Bob. Thank you so much, Andy. All right, coming up, we're going to be visiting with Professor Larry Bell, a dad professor at the University of Houston in space architecture and author of several books. His latest is What Makes Humans Truly Exceptional. We're going to do that and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. The 
dining scene in Naples is among the nation's finest. Get a first-hand experience with Naples Culinary Walks. Join a guided food walk with a terrific guide in a small group through elegant Naples neighborhoods known for destination restaurants. In three hours, you'll stop for small plates on your chosen tour. Dining walk choices include morning, afternoon, and evening offerings on 5th Avenue South, downtown 3rd Street, Waterside, Galleria Shops at Vanderbilt, and more. Prices begin at only $46 a person, depending on the tour you select. To find out more and to make a reservation, visit NaplesCulinaryWalks.com. That's NaplesCulinaryWalks.com for a great value and a terrific dining experience. Do you have an extra auto you'd like to donate to charity? Maximize your tax deduction, support your favorite charity, and help a local child in need by calling Naples Auto Donation Center. Naples Auto Donation Center is a not-for-profit licensed car dealer. Just call NADC at 692-9840 and they'll take it from there. You get a properly documented tax deduction for whatever the vehicle actually sells for. Your designated beneficiary charity gets half the profit after fix-up costs, and the net revenue generated by NADC goes to Friends of Foster Children to provide tutoring and other enrichment activities for foster children the government doesn't provide. And NADC is also one of the few places in Collier County that sells inexpensive cars that actually run to folks who would otherwise not be able to afford one. It's a real win-win. Call Naples Auto Donation Center at 692-9840 or visit the website nadckids.com. You'll be glad you did. Welcome back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harton. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. Uh, check out Choice Social. It's a brand new, refreshing social networking platform. You can find out more by visiting choicesocial.us. We have with us Professor Larry Bell, endowed professor at the University of Houston in space architecture. He's the author of several books. His latest, What Makes Humans Truly Exceptional, I'm reading the book right now. It is so fascinating and just really uh, encourage you to take a look at what makes humans truly exceptional. Professor, thank you so much for joining us. Well, Bob, thanks for having me in again. Always a pleasure, Professor. Uh, because of my back surgery, I'm not quite as a, uh, you know, it actually, this anesthesia takes a lot out of you in terms of your mental capacity. So I'm, I'm not reading as quickly as I'd like to, but irrespective. But I'm finding the book and the information just truly interesting in terms of, it really is exceptional, the fact that we're on the face of the earth. Well, thank you for reading that. That's uh that's the impression I got, even with all the back pains. It's kind of <laughs> nice to be hanging around, isn't it? It certainly is. When you think about all the possibilities and the permutations and combinations of what could be happening to us, uh, we're very fortunate to live in this space and time here on Earth. Uh, some people think of it as a hostile atmosphere, but quite frankly, it has truly been our friend for years right now, and we should be grateful for it. Absolutely. So, Professor, uh, you've written this column, which I found so interesting, No, Bi no Biden Charity for Trump, uh, Trump and his Miracle Vaccines. Maybe you can tell us about it. Well, it was interesting to hear the, I don't know what you call it, a press conference, because generally at press conference you have questions afterwards and answers and so on. And right. It was a totally tightly scripted event, and so uh, I think it's about 20 minutes long. and. Uh, 
so it was carefully written. But uh, when they whoever wrote it certainly didn't extend any charity to uh, to our former president. Uh, in the the talk was almost exclusively about the uh, you know the the COVID uh, situation and uh, the wonderful work that uh, the Biden administration is doing to make the country safe from the pandemic and not a single, not a single reference to uh, uh, President Trump's contribution, you know, the, uh, the uh, uh, Project Warp Speed uh, program that uh, produced the vaccine and vaccines plural in record time, which, uh, and hit, uh, the President Biden had accused him of being uh, kind of a grandstanding event and, uh-huh. and so on. And uh, it was really no evidence of uh, old Uncle Joe the nice guy. You know, what's interesting to me, uh, Professor, is that uh, he wants us to be united. As, and I can't think of something anymore, right, with just one sentence of saying we would like to extend our gratitude to the president for Operation Warp Speed. Most people could not have pulled that off, and what he has presented to us in terms of a solution is going to be great for all of us. So thank you, uh, President Trump, for what you've contributed. That one sentence, something to that effect, I think could really have made a major impact in terms of, but I don't even think he even wants to think that way. He sees us as kind of useless out here. He's appealing only to his, not even to his base, I think. He's appealing only to his his uh, contributors. Yeah, it seems that now he's, not, now he's in the uh, his party and his associates feel it's, there's no need for pretense anymore. They're in, they don't have to appease anyone. They can push through any radical uh, legislation they, they choose. This uh, House Rule 1 uh, legislation that they're now passed the House is just really terribly, uh, terrifically scary. Mm-hmm. Uh, it would just decimate uh, fair voting. It would really break institutionalized voting for foreseeable decades, and uh, there's just, there's no, there's no pretense of unity. Uh, uh, They're very uh, uh, quiet about what his policies were, or what what they would be throughout the whole election process, and uh, from the basement bunker, nobody even discussed the platform, and boy, now we really know uh, what was in store for us. It, it is scary indeed. Uh, Professor, I'd just uh, be, be curious about your thoughts. I mean, uh, this, in fact, has passed the House now, and it's just the very fact that it could pass the, the uh, Senate. Uh, but uh, to me, can it possibly pass? Could these H.R. 1 possibly pass the Senate? Well, it depends on the filibuster. And if they, if they can uh, kill the filibuster, that... Requires the supermajority to vote on it. Uh, yes, they can. They can definitely do that. And uh, mm, mm, mm. You know, with with the split Senate and with uh, Kamala Harris having the deciding vote, they can. They could certainly do that. It would. It's just it'd be unbelievable uh, what what would come of that. And uh, it depends on Senator Munchen 
and and uh, senator from Arizona that uh, have said they won't they won't allow the filibuster to be broken. But I I see some waffling now on that, and uh, in terms of well, well, we may just have a traditional filibuster where they you know they they get on the floor and they argue and argue and argue until until it uh, it dies, but. Uh, uh, it's it's uh, it's very terrifying. I, it's the most terrifying legislation I've seen in my lifetime because it would it would mean mail-in voting to, by anyone with no vote with no uh, ballot identification, and it would it would uh, authorize ballot harvesting. It would uh, it would just be absolutely terrible. Uh, uh, it's, and uh, yeah, it's uh, something that I think a lot of us have been very concerned about yeah. for a very long time. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, there are some states that right now are trying to take take some uh, measures, take some steps towards uh, rectifying some of the problems within their states. But irrespective, if you have this national policy, uh, that's uh, it, it would uh, definitely all the blue states, of course, would adopt it. The red states might try and put in some sort of interference, but the fact of the matter is that it would tend to justify uh, the be- very behavior that led to the outcomes that we got in play in states like Pennsylvania, uh, New Mexico, Arizona, and we could go right down the list. Yes, because it would essentially nationalize the voting system. Which was, uh, you know, really by the Constitution, uh, the responsibility of the states. Yeah, and that was that was agreed in the Constitution. To uh, it's kind of fundamental to creating the United States of America because the small states in, would, saw that they would be dominated by the large states if the if the federal government took over over voting. So uh, yeah, it it basically nullifies. Uh, Many respects, you know, constitutional state rights, and uh, for that reason, a lot of the states are are going to push back, most certainly, into the court system. But good luck with that. And when you consider what happened with the challenges to the last election, the uh, Supreme Court refused to hear the uh, arguments, even, and as well as a lot of the other courts. So. Uh, even the even the notion that the third branch of government, which is the judicial, would come riding in as the you know as the uh, as, you know, the cavalry to save things, is uh, highly uncertain these days. Uh, very disappointing indeed. I just encourage our listeners to go to Newsmax.com. You'll find Larry Bell's column there on point. Many columns. I, you're starting to average two or three columns a week now, Professor. His latest is No Biden Charity for Trump's Miracle Vaccines. Encourage you to give it a read. Also, his latest book, What Makes Humans Truly Exceptional. It's a great read. Uh, Encourage you to get that as well. Professor, always appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. I always enjoy it. Thank you so much. My pleasure indeed. Well, that's a wrap here in today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, tomorrow, we're going to visit with Keith Law, the co-founder of the Florida Citizens Alliance. Michael Cannon is the health director of health studies at the Cato Institute. He'll be joining us, as well as Seton Motley, 
the founding president of Less Government, and Bill Barnett, former mayor of Naples. Always look forward to his commentary on what's happening here on the Paradise Coast as well. Look forward to your comments and thoughts. You can send me an email at bobharden at hotmail.com, bobharden at hotmail.com. I hope you make it a great day on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are. Namaste. Thanks so much for listening to the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. For more information and audio files of previous shows, visit www.bobharden.com.